0: get three hellos to uh, start this podcast. My name is Elias Schuster, welcome to Points in the Podcast. This is the first episode of the show. In case you missed it, I did release a little three-minute trailer that kind of introduces myself and explains what I hope this show is about. In short, I'm somebody who writes about basketball, loves basketball, and this podcast is going to be about basketball. It will have a specific niche talking about the Chicago Bulls, uh, because that's also mainly what I do for a living. I get to obsess, so I have the privilege of obsessing about the Chicago Bulls, and uh, that's that's what I will be talking about largely in this podcast, because that's, like I said, that's my life. I have no other choice. I can't think of a better time, though, to, to, to really start this process just because the 22, 22 NBA draft, or every year the NBA draft, is representative of kind of the new league calendar year, right? It's a week or so before free agency. This, though, is the real beginning of not only teams adding big-name talent and, and uh, rebuilding organizations, taking a step in the right direction, but honestly, more importantly, Teams that are established in this league using this as an opportunity to improve themselves, whether that be through trying to get a steal of the draft or maybe finding a trade partner. This is kind of when the conversations really heat up. So I'm excited to, uh, to kind of start this journey at this point in the NBA calendar. With that said, I'm actually recording this part of the podcast before the NBA draft starts, where roughly, I don't know four hours away, five hours away from the start of the draft. The reason I wanted to do that is because I thought what better way to really gain an audience, right, than just showing you how wrong I could be right off the bat. I thought why not throw out there some things that I think might happen tonight and see if they stick. We'll revisit it uh, right afterward to see how wrong I was and uh, and we'll go from there. So. I don't want this to be long because the second half of this podcast should be a lot better. We'll actually be talking about, one, what happened, but two, uh, a close friend of mine is going to be joining me, and he'll be able to give us some great insight, uh, and hopefully I can as well, on what we all just witnessed. But first, before we do that, let me rattle through some predictions I have. First prediction, the top three, it'll be what we expect it to be. Javari Smith, Chet Holgrim. Palo Bancaro, and I do think it will be in that order. There has been some late movement, especially on the betting lines with Paolo Bancaro, if you haven't seen. I think that might be Orlando doing some gameplay to hopefully convince the Rockets, maybe to trade up to number one, whatever it may be. Number four is where the draft starts. I think I'm not the first one to say that. Everybody has said that. I'm very curious to see what the Kings do. I honestly feel like it's most likely they do trade out of the pick. Uh, with that said... If they stay in it, I actually think they might go after someone like Keegan Murray. I can see him just being, he's one of the safest picks of the draft in my opinion. I can see him fitting perhaps alongside Demonte Sabonis and then them being able to shop Harrison Barnes for other assets on the trade market. If they did take Jaden Ivey, I actually would respect it because at the end of the day, he's the best player available. You do have to take the best player available no matter how poor the fit might be on your team. After that, things might be pretty normal up until the late teens. The Wizards and the, and the Knicks are when things could get shaken up again. I could see both those teams trying to trade. Uh, whether or not they're smart trades, who knows, but both will probably try to find uh, some sort of veteran asset to add to their team. And same thing with the Hornets. I could easily see them looking to move 13 and 15. Jumping to the most important thing, number 18 to me, the Chicago Bulls. What are they going to do? I think. The safest bet is that they're just going to take somebody, right? I think at the end of the day, uh, the way the NBA draft works is there's all these rumors that always lead up, but then when your back's against the wall, you don't want to make a dumb decision. You don't want to miss out on an intriguing young talent. So a lot of these rumors end up falling flat because teams get scared and they just say, I'm going to take somebody. I think that could very well be the case uh, with the Bulls. I, I think they, why they want to move on from Kobe White and doing so might be the easiest with packaging this pick. Uh, who knows? what kind of offers they're getting or whatever. So, safest bet. Safest bet, I think they just end up making the pick. I think near the top of their draft board, EJ Liddell, Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, Tari Eason, uh, even though his feel for the game is a little off and may not fit with kind of the pass happy high IQ players as front office likes. He does fit the Patrick Williams vein of things with just being ultra athletic and having a lot of upside on both sides of the ball. So I could see them taking another swing at a guy like that. Yeah. Other option, Mark Williams, if he falls, I think they would take him. I don't know if I, I, a little while ago, I was thinking there could be a trade up, but would you trade up for a center? I don't know. Should you, if they did, how would I feel about it? Because do you want to give extra assets just to get a center? I don't know. I guess if it was only Kobe White and an 18th pick to maybe move up to a Hornets spot, and you were able to take Mark Williams, fine. He, maybe he you, you think he's the future center of your league. He has great win protecting uh, potential. He clearly has things that they might like, but you don't wanna give up extra assets for a center. I'm always, I'm always worried about that. It's just like how you don't wanna overpay a center. Other than that, I don't really see trade down as a possible scenario. If they do, it would likely be to grab more assets for a bigger trade. I don't think this front office wants to add more youth to this roster, I could be wrong. I also wouldn't mind it cuz I do like some of the options in the late te- or in the later part of the first round. So I guess we'll see. Were those predictions? I feel like they were, right? I think <laughs> I think that was okay. So, let's start it off there. Those were just some of my random thoughts. You already know how wrong I was uh, or how right I was. That would also be good. Good for the brand right away. But we're going to jump now for you it'll be just a second for me it'll be a handful of hours. We're going to jump over to our post draft conversation. So, let's go. Okay. Wow. So that did not go according to plan. I just re-listened to what I offered to you before the draft. And if we're being honest, I I actually ended up a little closer than I definitely I thought I was going to be. So that's good. But man, that draft, it chugged a few beers really right through the start. It pre-gamed a little too hard and uh, it, it went off the rails pretty quickly. So The biggest news, obviously, and you saw it, the Magic, Orlando Magic, expected to take Jabari Smith for the better part of a month, ended up doing a last-minute switch to Duke's Paolo Bancaro. I personally think that was the right choice. I love Bancaro's combination of size and playmaking potential. Uh, He can create a little bit of his own offense, and I don't know, he just seems like the biggest superstar prospect to me in this draft. So, I'm there for it. He might not be the highest upside, I guess I should say. So, maybe I'll walk that back a little bit. Chet Holgrim at the end of the day probably has the uh, highest upside. But Palo Bancaro, NBA ready, safest bet, I think, to become a star in this draft. So, that made sense for the Magic. Go, Magic. Good for them. Then the Thunder, they took Chet. Rockets, they end up with Jabari. If you're the Rockets, at the end of the day, You'll take what you can get. Jabari, that's a pretty good consolation prize for waiting. Now, so I might have been completely wrong about that, but I kind of nailed the Kings thing, right? Should I should I wait for applause? I kind of nailed the Kings thing. The Keegan-Murray situation, I did say I thought that they were going to go that route just because the Jaden Ivey situation may have been a little scary with De'Aaron Fox there at the point guard position. So that was cool. Uh, like I said, though, I would have respected them if they took Jaden Ivey, and I kind of wish they did because now the Detroit Pistons... The Chicago Bulls Central Division Foe. Divisions are stupid, I freely admit. But I don't want to see Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham four times a year now? I don't want to see that. That does not that that doesn't sound fun to me. But hey, good for the Pistons, I guess. If if I'm looking if I'm putting on just my basketball fan hat, Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, and then later in the draft they go on to grab Jalen Duran. Uh, Troy Reaver is uh is is killing it over in that front office right now. And uh, I'm jealous of, uh, of their youth. From there on, the other thing that I kind of expected was that 11 to 12 range getting a little trade happy, right? We saw the Knicks trade Uzmani Dang to Oklahoma City. They got a bunch of draft compensation back. I think that was kind of a strange move from New York. I don't really know why they're stockpiling trade assets but or draft capital. But so be it. The Knicks are the Knicks. They do what they do. The uh, The Hornets. They also moved their number 13 pick. That was the Jalen Duren pick that ended up going back to Detroit in a three-team deal. I was a little surprised by that because I thought the Hornets, who are craving a center and have been craving a center for a long time, what? Mason Plumlee's not doing it? Somewhere. I, somewhere someone had to have said that, right? I just some Maybe it was Miles Plumlee. Uh, I was surprised they didn't take Dern. He's a high upside center, but a couple picks later, they ended up taking Mark Williams, who I was kind of hoping would fall to the Bulls. In general, though, I'll kind of slow down. As you can tell, I'm excited about everything that just went down. In general, though, I'm kind of surprised this draft did not go according to plan. Not only was there a pretty massive shakeup in terms of where talent ended up landing, obviously Keegan Murray at four, even starting with Bancaro going number one, Jalen Williams at number 12. I thought he was going to drop further. I was hoping he'd also be there for the Chicago Bulls. There was just a lot of shifting in the draft board that I don't think we kind of saw coming, which leads me now to the Chicago Bulls at number 18. I'm going to not go too deep into things here because I'm also about to introduce my guest and we'll get far more into it with him and we're going to get far more into everything draft. So uh, we'll touch on a bunch more in just a couple minutes. But with Dalen Terry at number 18, I'm a little upset, not with the pick, but because I wrote several draft profiles before this NBA draft kicked off for the Chicago Bulls Daylon Terry was next on my list that I didn't get to I had Terry on that list and let's see I'm going to pull it up because I did end up doing some research I had Daylon Terry on that list Jake LaRavia and Patrick Baldwin those were the next three players who I was going to discuss as potential targets for the Chicago Bulls and for whatever reason I didn't get around to writing it all up because work kicked my butt this week and it was what it was but Daylon Terry, I'm here for the pick. I can understand that people were a little bit shocked by this pick, and a big reason for that is simply because they don't know who Daylon Terry is. Pac-12 after dark, a lot of people aren't gonna be watching it. He wasn't a name that came up also on Arizona. He had an extremely low usage rating. This wasn't a player who was making the highlight plays. That was Benedict Matherin, who went number six overall to the Pacers, however, Daylon Terry was a foundational and quintessential piece to Arizona's number one-seeded NCAA tournament team who had a real shot to win the NCAA tournament. A lot of people had them going that far. And I think that Daylon Terry would have was, was a very big piece of that. Not only is he a versatile playmaker, but he's a very high-end passer. Uh, he has great two-way potential. He makes a lot of sense for this Bulls team. So again, I'll get into way more of that. But just in terms of this oh did the bulls reach for the pick blah 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 i kind of i don't want to go that far i think we tend to raise expectations too high around draft time in general right we have to keep in perspective what the number 18 pick usually is which is not a star someone you hope can be a decent role player and someone who is you know the best available prospect on your board really you just kind of have to to grab that guy Dalen terry i think was clearly that guy for the chicago bulls and you want to ask could they have traded down to grab him. I don't know. We don't know what other people's draft boards look like. I'm sure they took calls. What it tells me is they probably took some calls. Maybe there was an offer or two. It wasn't that enticing in terms of what additionally they would get back to moving down to whatever pick they did, but also maybe they were worried Dale and Terry wasn't going to be there. Other teams were clearly interested. Several mock drafts had him going in the early 20s, so I think they just thought, hey, we're going to grab him, and at the end of the day, I'm cool with that if that's the player that the front office was highest on on the board. (sighs) All right, let's take a pause. I should stop. I'm starting to ramble. I should have this conversation with our guest who I want to introduce right now. I want to welcome in a friend of mine, a former roommate, a former radio co-host, a former pickup basketball colleague, and an incredibly smart sports mind and a current staff writer over at 247 Sports, part of the CBS Sports family. Isaac Work Hard Play Hard Trotter. Welcome to the show my my friend.
1: It's awesome. It's awesome. I'm glad to be here. We'll uh we'll probably do this a lot and I'm looking forward to talking basketball. It's like it's like what what we'd always do for years and years in the apartments and now we just get to do it for a living and it's it's really fun. So, you know, the NBA draft is something that you were really fired up about. You've been fired up about it for a long long time and I think last night was as fun as it's been in a really really long time. And so it's super awesome to to hop on with you and we'll, we'll break it all down today.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. This is, this is going to be, this, this should be a good conversation. I want to start obviously with uh, the, it's easy to start, right? Because the biggest news in the night basically happened right away with uh, Orlando ended up taking Paolo Vankero first, uh, Jabari Smith, then falling to number three, which I don't think was a too too big of a surprise considering they took Vankero first uh, in the numbers two spot chat made sense for OKC. But I kind of just want to get your idea did you see that coming? Did you think Orlando was throwing, throwing smoke this whole time? Which we could talk about that in a second too. I don't know why they felt the need to do that. But what do you think about the pick of Paolo? Is it the right move? Yeah, I think that
1: Paolo was the best overall player in this draft. Uh, If you you looked at it from the standpoint of, am I going to be able to get someone who can come in right away and immediately be a difference maker offensively? So if you're operating under that premise, which I think Orlando was, Paolo makes a lot of sense. Now, if you're going from the upside thing, I think you could make a case that Chet Holmgren was probably the best overall player. I think he was my favorite overall player. But when that news starts to come and, and starts to happen and you see what Orlando does, my first thought was man, Houston can spin this any way they want now that they're at three. Whoever drops them, they're going to be like, oh, well, that's who we wanted all along. We were super fine with it and everything. But inwardly, I think they were frustrated. I think they really were because Paolo is a perfect fit for the Rockets, and I think he's a perfect fit for almost every NBA team. And so for him to go number one overall, it it did surprise me a little bit, but it makes a lot of sense on paper. And you just look at what that roster looks like and what the Magic have accumulated – that's a team that can really mismatch Hunt. That's a team that can really go and make some really great plays in transition. I think they're going to be able to defend, too, at a really high level. So I'm excited about that team, and I'm just excited to see Paolo there. So I think it was the right decision. But, man, ever since that beginning, it's like, man, now you can kind of switch it around. And whoever the Rockets take, they can just spin it however way they want. And they could say, well, we just crushed it here. We got exactly who we wanted. And that might not be the truth in, in, in when we really know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those situations right for Houston where you can easily sit there and say, well, we got the number one player in the draft when it's like because everyone did expect Jabari to go first. But at the end of the day, that's 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 not the real situation here. And I'm interested if did you think there were trade conversations going on behind the scenes? Because I have to imagine that the Rockets did give a call to Orlando and ask, you know, if you're really doing this, what do you want? And uh, it seemed like the whole time that was the direction that Houston really did want to go, and they were very happy to end up getting Ben Carroll. So I have to imagine there were some trade talks.
1: Yeah, I assume that there were trade talks, but I think at the end of the day, the top three teams, as long as they got one of the top three dudes, I don't think they really met, cared that much. I think, uh, I think you could throw Ivy in that mix too as the fourth, pretty much pretty safe, you know, type of pick here. So I do think that there might have been a lot of trade conversations, but at the end of the day, both all three of these teams that were picking first. One through three, if if you throw Chet Holmgren on Orlando, you can make that work. Maybe it's a little bit clunky with Wendell Carter Jr., but it's a little fresh, you know. But also, I mean, you don't
0: build your team. You don't build your team uh, with the mindset right now when you had the worst record in the league. Of what are we going to do with Wendell here? We can't have this guy. It doesn't matter. Fit doesn't matter at all in that situation. So right. yeah,
1: Keep correct. Going. So just having one of those three guys didn't really matter. And I, I'm glad that they didn't trade. I think that it was really intriguing and fun and made it better and more exciting to have Paolo kind of come out of nowhere and be able to execute a, a smoke screen. I'm excited about the 30 for 30 we get for this in for 15 years. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think that at the end these three teams would have been fine with whichever they took. And I, the thing about Paolo too, is like, when you watch his games, like his ability to create shots, for everybody else is unlike what Chet does and unlike what Jabari does. And so I look at him and I go, you know, he's not Zion Williamson, but he can be point Zion, right? You can have point Paulo for Orlando at times. And I think it could be a really interesting thing. And I'm excited to see how that group kind of works together and evolves together and and what Paulo turns into, because he's going to put up some impressive numbers right away. And Orlando I think is going to really fall in love with that guy and just who he is as a person really, really quickly.
0: Yeah, I think the way I kind of described it before we hopped on here was that I may not th- see Paolo as the highest upside pick, but I think he probably has the the, the greatest superstar potential. I think that he's, and in that, and in that case, it's very enticing for Orlando to just kind of, if they did switch gears, switch gears and go for that guy because, I mean, that's what you're looking for with the number one pick in the draft anyway. And with that said, I'm curious to hear what you think, why did Orlando feel the need to smokescreen this when you have the number one pick in the draft? I understand that, especially uh, what Jeff Weltman, the the uh, front office leader there in Orlando, he's not somebody who has things leak. He's always been pretty close to the best. But I just feel like there may have been uh, an unnecessary amount of gamesmanship. At the end of the day, I'm happy it happened. It made the draft interesting. But in my head, I'm just trying to sit there as it was going down. I was like, what was the point of this? Who are you trying to trick? Why are you trying? Maybe you're trying to put pressure on a team like Houston to say, last second, look, we're going to do this. Do you have any big offers? But I have to imagine that it was, it was a little bit unnecessary.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it might have been like a situation where they're trying to execute like what the Celtics did with Jason Tatum and Markel Fultz and try to get their guy a little bit later. But you're right. I mean, it was a little bit unnecessary. But again, another part of me thinks – You know, this is not a shot at Jabari Smith at all. Like, Jabari Smith's a very talented guy. I would not be shocked at all if we find out a little bit later that there was a lot of dissension in that front office about who to pick because the fit with Jabari makes a lot of sense. I mean, who doesn't want a six foot ten guy who can drain threes and can dribble and can get to the rim and can block shots and has elite, elite finishing ability both at the rim and from three? Like, who doesn't want that? And so I think we'd be stupid to assume that they were, you know, this was Paolo right away. They might say that. They might preach that. I disagree. I just think that with how much talent there is in this, at the top of this draft, it's just too, it's just not, it's not easy enough to just automatically love one guy so much more than everybody
0: else. Talking about that first trade, that's what ended up just having a domino effect on the rest of this draft. I mean, I think teams were thrown for a loop immediately. I mean, we, I guess we all knew those were going to be the top three that ended up coming out of, uh, that ended up coming out of there. But I'm just surprised by how much trade talk there was heading into the draft, and how much or how little there was. With that said, every year I think we always get caught up in this idea that there's going to be some superstar trade that happens, right? I can't even remember the last time in action. Maybe it was Jimmy Butler for the ball. <laughs> the Bulls was the last time like a real star was actually to- tossed somewhere else uh, within that you know lottery pick area. So every year, I think we get a little too overhyped about the potential for all these crazy trades. But I was very surprised just considering how after top three, everything was kind of, yeah, there are tiers, but everything was a little bit fuzzy. I'm surprised by the lack of trade action that we got.
1: Yeah, especially with Ivy at four. And I think knowing that the Kings are the Kings, right? And that they're going to do what they do. And I you know, I I thought that a lot of teams made a lot of sense. Like I I was expecting, you're not maybe expecting, but I was kind of hoping that the Knicks would get really really aggressive and try to go up and get four, try to go up and get five, and it didn't work out. And things happened, and you know they. Jalen Johnson, so, man, you need that money for Jalen. <laughs> that's exactly right, which one they got? You know what I mean? They got yeah. us so many. <laughs> so uh, I just think it's gonna be a it's gonna be a very interesting. It's gonna be an interesting, you know like the rehash to this, like the, how we learn about things differently, the spins that I'm always looking at the spins and how these front offices will attack things differently. And we'll get into the Jaden Ivy stuff. But I think if you had an opportunity to trade up to four to get him and you opted not to do that, I think that could look like a really, really bad move in a couple of years because Ivy, like we've talked about it before a little bit before this, but I'm as high on Ivy as anybody. And when you get to watch him up close and personal, you go, Ooh, this is different. This looks really different. So if, you know, say the Knicks did, and maybe they balked at, at maybe giving up a little bit more to go up to four, I think they could really, really regret that. Cause Ivy looks like a really special talent and a really special person.
0: Yeah. I'm talking about the, we'll go back to Ivy in a second, but you brought up kind of the, the spins, right? How, how people are reporting things before the draft. And it's always interesting to me. And I think we're, we're leaning now too far in the direction of uh believing mock drafts and this mock draft culture and all that stuff because at the end of the day when we look at at the actual draft order i mean it's not how it's not how we expected it to go and whether it and and yes again some of that might be because of what orlando did or what number four did but even down the line when you have somebody like uh uzmani Jang going to the knicks or you have uh, you have the Spurs taking Jeremy Sohan all the way at nine. Uh, you have Jalen Williams going high as number 12. I mean, these were all moves that I think drastically shook up each team's trade board, especially because all these mock drafts, all of these big boards had these guys or several of those guys that let's say, let's just pick out Jalen Williams, for example. You know, he was somebody who people had maybe in the early 20s. Yeah, some people may have had him higher, but I would say the consensus was probably that early 20s or maybe the bowl, around where the Bulls were going to pick at number 18. Same thing with Sohan. He was a draft riser for sure, But and there were some people who thought the Spurs could be interested in at number 9, but that was still higher than I think the consensus would have had him. It would have been that, you know, one of the last lottery picks. So I don't know. I just think I was surprised by that uh, dichotomy between a lot of what we got on big boards and all this stuff to clearly what was being talked about behind the scenes and around the league. Front offices saw this very differently.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also one of those things where uh, Kevin Durant tweeted yesterday that this is a wings league. And I think that sometimes in the draft boards or where you how you evaluate people, it's easy to fall in love with a guy and forget maybe what how these front offices are thinking. It's a wings league. Uh, so you go at Ivy. That's a wing. Benedict Matherin, wing. Sharp, wing. Daniels, wing. Sochan, uh, wing. Johnny Davis, wing. Jalen Williams. So it's just like these run on wings early. And it, it kind of knocked things off. Even even Ochai, Agbaji <laughs> coming in at 14, like that might be a little bit higher than we want, or than we maybe have thought, another wing. And so like, that's the thing that you start to just start to see where the wings are this league right now. And the front offices and yesterday proved it more than ever.
0: So we'll go back to Ivy. Speaking of uh, of wings, that pick for me one I was absolutely devastated because I did not want Detroit to get him. At least my the Bulls side of me was like, I don't want this. The NBA fan in me was like, I totally want this. So it was very conflicting experience. But the the Ivy situation in Detroit, I think that's an extremely fun uh you, you know piece to throw next to. Uh, Cade Cunningham for sure, especially if you add Jalen Duran to that, the, the young core that, that uh, Troy Weaver has been able to build there is pretty remarkable in just a couple of years. So, yeah, I mean, how do you see Jaden Ivey fitting in there? Do you see there being a little bit of tension? Because, I mean, between him and Cade in terms of not actually off the court, but in terms of on the court, just a little bit of, you know, whose team is this? Because I think we both agree Jaden Ivey could easily be the alpha dog on a team. And I think we also see that with Cade. He already is, teammates love him. He's already a guy that seems that same way. So, you know, I'm not trying to stir up anything too, too early or bring up any, anything like that. But I do think while it's a fun fit, it's also a very interesting one.
1: No, 100%. It's super interesting. But I think that uh, the reason why I like Cade so much is because of how selfless he is. And so I think you're going to see a guy that, you know, if he gets a rebound and he looks ahead for Jaden Ivey, he's not gonna be scared to push the pace and push the tempo. And as we've learned, you need ball or shot creators more than ever now, and I think these two guys are so talented, but they're so different in those different ways. Like I think Kate is a very, very uh, aggressive passer. I think he sees things that others don't even think about, and that's a part of the game that Ivy still has to work on. He he didn't create shots as well, but man, when he gets out in transition, he gets downhill with a head of steam. He's as good as it gets. Like you see where he takes off and where how he attacks the rim. Like he legitimately attacks the rim. Like he wants to tear it apart, and I love that. I love his fearlessness. I love how aggressive he is, how he sees the moment in transition and he'll take one step and he's by you. So I think that Cade's strengths actually make Ivy better. And I think this is Cade's team just because he's going to be there a little bit longer. But Ivy can have those nights where he looks like the best player on the floor But some of his warts as a playmaker or some of his warts as a turnover machine sometimes can kind of get covered up by Cade. So I agree with you that it is an intriguing fit and it could be a little bit clunky. But at the same time, I I think it's going to be really special, too, because both of these guys are winners and both of these guys are the perfect NBA body for a wing and for what you want and a ball handler and a shot creator. Both of those guys are going to do incredible things. And I, I really think Cade's going to help Ivy more than Ivy helps Cade, but that's not a bad thing for Detroit.
0: When we look at the kind of the rest before we, we kind of get into the teens and, and maybe, and, and towards the bowl situation, whether their picks between kind of that one through 15 range stand out to you? Because Some that were at least surprising to me. I was surprised that Shaden Sharp ended up going to Portland. Uh, I had to imagine that was a potential like, let's take him and see if we can have any more trade conversations. Just because uh, while I think he would be, maybe the future version of him could be a good fit there. He's somebody who clearly needs, you know, he's going to come in raw. He clearly needs time. So it's really hard for me to see that uh, kind of working out in the way that they would need, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, Johnny Davis to the Wizards. I know you aren't <laughs> a huge Johnny Davis guy. I thought that was hilarious when, when they picked him, just because I think that was such a Wizards pick in terms of just they go. I mean, they go for his body type all the time, and uh, and I it seemed like they were there was reporting at least from like Wojnowski during the during the thing that they may have seen him as like a point guard, like being their future point guard or something. Which I was like, that's not correct. <laughs> so that whole situation was weird. But yeah, are, are there any big names? Uh, before we move on, that kind of stood out to you in that in that lottery range.
1: Yeah, so a little bit we talked about how uh, you love Ivy and Cade's future in the young backcourts. I think the next pick sets up for an awesome young backcourt again, with Ben Matherin going to the Pacers to play with Tyrese Halliburton. And again, it's one of those situations. Halliburton yeah, makes everybody be- don't forget Duarte.
0: Chris Duarte being there too is a big help. That could be I mean that, that three that potential three man lineup is is that's a scary backward. It is.
1: It really is. And I just I look at all three of those guys and, and they just complement each other so perfectly. Duarte doesn't need the ball in his hands to be awesome. Tyrese makes everybody better around him, and Matherin has that juice that you just desperately need. He just looks like he's built to be a shooting guard in today's NBA. So I, I really love that pick. And you know, it's it's a little frustrating for the Bulls to see the the Pistons and to see the Pacers both crush this draft, but they did. And that makes the Bulls, I think, and puts the emphasis on the Bulls front office to continue to be aggressive because these two teams are rising and are going to keep getting better and better.
0: Well, we can't forget both those teams, too, play, legitimately played the Bulls close last year. I mean, there was, there was. I think, maybe towards the end of the year, maybe the last two games against the Pacers ended up being blowouts or whatever. But if we remember the way the year started, the Pistons were right, were right on their butt. And then the Pacers always play that team hard. So I, I just think I know it's stupid. Divisions are generally very stupid. There's really no no need for them. But those are teams you play four times a year, right? So if we're talking, that's eight games that we're talking about now between Detroit and the Pacers. And I I was kind of I tweeted out my frustration uh, last night in in Detroit getting Ivy, and you know a bunch of people in my mentions in the comment section were like, oh who cares it's Detroit blah blah blah. I'm like no, it matters because those are eight games, and Detroit just got a lot better with those picks. They can still get a lot better. I mean. They're, they're likely not in the eight market anymore, but they can they can still find pieces this year. They got plenty of cap space, and then uh, the Pacers they still have plenty of talent to give this bowl, this specific Bulls team problem. They're actually a decent matchup against uh, what we expect the Bulls to look like next year. So it does matter that they have to see these teams that many times, and it does matter that they're uh, improving and kind of inching themselves closer to. Uh, to Chicago.
1: Well, I think it was one of those situations where you kind of looked at the Pacers and you looked at, at the Pistons. and You go, OK, they're going to kind of get rid of some of these veterans that they have. You know, the trades for Miles Turner might happen. Brogdon might get traded and, and maybe they take a step back and then the Bulls are able to take advantage of some young teams. Well, that might happen. But I think these young teams are going to be frisky. Like I really do. And so I'm 100 percent with you. Like there's going to be days where Cade and Ivy give the Bulls a lot of problems. Like and that's why not to jump ahead to what the Bulls did, but I, I like the defense that you have have started to put together a little bit on paper because you need that because the teams you're going to play the most have some really elite legitimate guards and we talk we talk all the time about how deep this the NBA is and how much talent there's always been and you know you're talking about Detroit and Indiana two of the worst quote unquote teams in the east and how exciting they are and that's great for the nba but man that makes it tough on a nightly basis and and you're just gonna have to recalibrate your expectations because these teams they might be young but they're talented enough to steal a game or two a a couple in every single year from the bulls
0: and you said it the this is a wings league now right which means you also need wing defense and the the bulls in that way definitely struggled at times last year, especially with the injuries. I mean, Lonzo when he's out there, he can he can handle that that load for you and Caruso can obviously be a pest at times. Both have great size and 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 can guard multiple positions, but you need as much as that of that as you can get in the league right now because of what you talked about earlier, all these teams adding these usually electric scoring wings. So, it's just a bigger, a bigger thing, and we're going to see it in free agency too. It's a reason, I, I, t- I remember texting you earlier this week, it's a reason why a guy like slow-mo even still interests me uh, on a team. A guy like Kyle Anderson, just that size and and uh, a little bit of, uh, of what he brings defensively. Like there's, there's players like that who now become that much more important because of the way that the league is shifting
1: no 100 and you know we can talk about oh the Pacers got better oh the Pistons got better but to shift it back to our lottery conversations I thought the Agbaji to pick by the Cavs might give Bulls fans a little bit more you know, and I think you're happy that they took him because uh you know if you if you watched a lot of Kansas or you watched them play this year like Ochai is a good player Ochai is not a player that's going to come in and, and be a number two at at best, right? Like you're hoping you draft your Desmond Bain, but they're drafting Desmond Bain at 14, not Desmond Bain at 30, which is what the Grizzlies did. I would
0: have been way happier with with Ochai at 21. You know that that's that was kind of the area that I felt like he was going to He was going to go in. I did consider him as an option for the Bulls, mainly just because of the positional size, but the combination of the three point shooting too. If we're talking about players who can immediately help, he's one of those guys, which I actually think is something that the Cavs may have done to a fault in this pick, right? Is they're like, well, we took this big step forward next year or last year. And we saw with the Knicks, you could always take a step back again. However, I do think that they're going to be pretty, uh, pretty good again. But I think they may have gotten a little like, well, we need to make sure that we just take someone who can help us right away and who can play right away. And Ochai can play right away, make no mistake of it. He will fit in, he can slide in, he's he's automatically a catch and shoot threat for you. And uh, and he's, he's a decent, good player. But he's not going to move any kind of needle for you. And I don't think because he's able to play right away, it's going to drastically change anything for them, except that they're getting maybe a cheap cheaper rotation player. So... I think that may have been what their thought process was with that pick, and uh, and it may have been to a fault. Because I don't think necessarily the, the Bulls did that with, with their selection. Uh, I mean, there are definitely things with Dale and Terry, and we can talk about it in a second, that will immediately translate to the court that they can use. But that was still a, you know, we're just going to take the best guy on our board. I have a hard time believing that Ochai was the best guy on their board in terms of sheer talent and not just fit.
1: Well, and especially when you look at some of the options that were remaining, you know, Ochai, taking Ochai at 21 <laughs> is fine, but AJ Griffin was still on the f- on the on the on the board and if he's right, if he's healthy, he's one of the best players that we think, I mean, if he was healthy all
0: year long and played all year long, he's probably a top 8ish pick in this draft. And the reason I feel like, yeah, and the reason I feel like they probably cast him aside as they're just like, well, we got Darius who's gonna do the scoring. We have also Sexton potentially coming coming back if we don't move him. You know, they are like, well, we don't have to worry about scoring. Well it's just like I mean that's not first of all, that's not all Griffin can do for you on the offensive end. Defensively he's he's uh has some definitely has some weaknesses. But that's not all he can do for you. And two, I, I'm just always gonna be somebody who thinks hey, just take best player available. Yes, you can think about fit a little bit more when you get outside the lottery, but we are still talking about this 14th pick. We are still talking about the lottery.
1: Yeah, no, it's 100% the thing. And I, I'm, I'm just interested by that, and, and we'll see. I, I think if you're looking across like this lottery pick, like... If you're looking and saying, okay, who's going to have the best year one impact outside of the top five? Like, it wouldn't shock me if Abadi has a game. Maybe he starts sixty five games next year. Maybe he Absolutely. makes a ton of threes as a catch and shoot guy. But I just, I don't know if the Bulls are ever going to go into Cleveland and play them and be like, okay, number one on the scouting report tonight is it's time to stop Ochai Abadi. And that's just not going to happen. It's just never going to be there. And I still have questions about him defensively. I know that you know you read some of the scouting reports on him and. They, they liked some of his defense, and he his screen navigation is good and all those things. But if you listen to Bill Self on a daily basis, he, he wasn't all that thrilled with Ochai defensively. So that's another piece. Like if you're thinking about the Bulls next year and you're playing the Cavs, that's another guy that Levine or DeRozan can target and pick and rolls. That's another guy you can switch on to him. And I, I think that it's a situation, again, where we're just talking like more process versus outcome. Like the outcome, you got yourself a catch-and-shoot guy, and that's fine. But the process for the Cavs felt a little bit weird, which is maybe a blessing in disguise after what the Pacers and, and the Pistons have done.
0: All right, I think. Uh, well, now we can move on. We should. We should just go to it. Let's just. <laughs> let's just go to Dale and Terry. Uh, we were also texting during the draft, and uh, and we sent the pit. You sent in pretty quick before it happened, or, or I mean, uh, right before it happened, kind of saying like, could it be? You know, Dale and Terry. That's also an option that you liked, and I think this was a pick. First, I'll say before we get into kind of who he is as a player. I kind of want to talk about the uh, philosophy of the pick or the the thought process behind the pick. Cause I think I immediately saw after it was made, like you can kind of hear this Twitter groan, right? You can kind of hear from Bulls fans. You can hear this just like who, and because, cause one, no one's, no one's watching Pac-12 after dark. And unless, you know, you're uh, a basketball junkie, like maybe you and I are sitting there trying to watch it or laying in bed on our phones, watching Pac-12 after dark, but a lot, of, a lot of people aren't in, in the Midwest. A lot of Bulls fans aren't going to be aware of who he is. Also, in relation to that, the role he played on the team even, even if he did catch Arizona, right? He's not Benedict Matherin. He wasn't the player who was the most flashy. So he's not somebody necessarily who uh, you were going to even recognize all the time during the game. You might say, like, hey, that guy's flying around. Oh, my God. who's Like, he will catch your eye in that way. But he's not putting up these big scoring nights. So that's also something.
1: Yeah, he was... Like, if you watch an Arizona game, they'd go, okay, Benedict Matherin first, then they go Christian Coloco second, and then they'd go kerr third, the point guard, then they go Azulis Tabellas fourth. Oh, and then Dalen Terry. Like, oh, you know, Dalen Terry, really great glue guy. You know, he comes along and does all these things. And it's like, that's part of the thing with, like, especially with college basketball. Like, you have a lot of people that parachute in and watch a game, or you have broadcasters that parachute in and, and broadcast a game. Definitely you know, with broadcasters, you know, too. And these <laughs> narratives that come into play off of, one game. And it's like, if you watch the entire season, you go, Dalen Terry's as important to Arizona as anybody on the floor. I think it's
0: like, how, yeah, it's, it's as if you were, I think the way that I, I the way I kind of described him just initially in a tweet after the draft happened to people, it's like, think about Javante green, but a little bit, uh, but bigger and longer. Right. So in terms of people saw Javante green this year, at least Bulls fans did as this incredibly active you know, defender, somebody who was just making some highlight plays in transition. He was always somebody who you felt his impact when you were out there. And you felt like he was making the team better and you just felt like he was working working his butt off. And so that's where that comparison came from. And I think that helped clear it up a little bit, but I'm like, that's kind of who Dale and Terry was. You know, the actual... Uh, physical parts of their game may not be the exact same. And I did stress that when I brought up the comparison, but in terms of what they bring to your team and even Alex Caruso, there's elements of an Alex Caruso in there in terms of their energy and in their hustle. Uh, that's the kind of player we're talking about in terms of what he was for Arizona. And I understand that, you know, you think about a first round pick and, and maybe some people are like, well, that's not the kind of guy that, you know, you can get that guy on or you can get that guy in the second round or whatever. But there's, first off, there's more to Dale and Terry than, than just that. But two, in this area of this draft, in this 18 range, in this mid-first round, players like that, like in Alex Cruz or Javante Green, like if people knew at the time what they were going to be or like had a little bit better of an idea, they would have gone in that range because this is where you're just hoping to get a solid, good role player, somebody who will be a star in their role. You likely aren't going to get a star in this spot. You can go back and look at any draft around this area. You know, there are teams, of course, that get lucky. Somebody in this range could become, you know, an all-star one day. But most of the time that doesn't happen. And your goal is to find somebody who's a star in their role and take the best player available. And in this case, for the Bulls, it appeared like that that was Dale and Terry to them.
1: Yeah, you could argue that uh, getting a role player at 18 is a win like just a win right there. Like that, it's maybe not the goal. It's like a, that's a winning process. If you get a role player at 18, and, you know, the other thing too, with Dalen Terry that we have to talk about is when Kirk Crease, got injured for Arizona, Terry got to play point guard. And when he got to play point guard, he turned into a completely different player. And I think that that really excited people. When you saw that you're like, Oh, this is not a six foot seven wing. That's just going to be a wing and can't handle the ball. He's a shot creator. He's a shot distributor. He is able to get in the lane. He can finish at the rim. He can shoot the three. Obviously, you love the defense, and that's probably why he did it. But like, as he started, like when he went into the NBA draft process, a lot of people just assumed he was going to go back to school for a third year because he didn't put up those super sexy stats or have like all of the, the like um, accolades. Or he wasn't that first guy named on Arizona broadcasts, right? But if you look into him, it's like, okay, he has the size, he has the shooting, he has everything that you would want. Like, why would he not stay in this draft? And so I think that, like, at night there at 18, like, that was perfect. Like, he fits everything of what they were looking for.
0: Yeah, I think that I, I think that he fits, the, he fits the bill of what this front office has done in the past. When you look at somebody like Isle DeSumo and you look at somebody like uh, Patrick Williams, you know, these are players who have elite length, elite positional size, a strong defensive foundation. That's a big thing. Uh, players who kind of are going to start their career succeeding on the defensive end, which normally is the harder thing for players to add. These are guys who kind of already excel in that category. Um, I mean, Io, you can you can make a debate about, but he was always somebody who projected to be a pretty good defender considering uh, his length and just kind of his attitude. And so these are people who can get on the court that way and then fine-tune parts about their offensive game. Both Io and Patrick did come in, I would say, with a more um, probably polished shooting game. Honestly, you may not think that about Patrick Williams, but he had a really nice mid-range jumper. We've seen it come to fruition at the NBA level. His three-point shot has been there. So the question that's been the question with Dale and Terry is more about his shooting. But there's common threads there between what this front office likes. And also, we've kind of said it, what you're going to get at number 18, right? They recognize that. What are we going to get there? Well, we're probably just going to have to go for the most high upside role player we can find. Who's the best player on our board? Dale and Terry.
1: Well, the other thing too with Io is that like Io is an elite mid-range shooter who was not as good off of the catch and shoot. And that's why Terry's different. Terry is not an elite mid-range shooter, but he is a much better catch-and-shoot guy option than Io was. So uh, it would not shock me at all if it came down to late-game situations where it's either Dalen Terry or Io Desumu on the floor – where the coaching staff might prefer Terry on the floor for those catch and shoot opportunities for corner threes. Io got better at those, but I think Terry's gonna be a really, really good catch and shoot three point shooter. You know, he shot 68% at the rim too, which also helps when you're six foot seven. So while Io and Terry have like the competitiveness and like the nasty streak where they just wanna win, they'll do whatever it takes to win, that might be similar they're different offensively. And I think that Billy Donovan and this coaching staff can get the most out of them in different ways. And, and they're going to play together just fine too.
0: Well, the other thing these players, these players share all of them that they draft, uh, is, but particularly these last two in to and Terry is they're also both pretty solid playmakers. I mean, Terry's far, I would say coming into the league far past what Dusumu can accomplish, but we're talking about smart, high IQ players, guys who have pretty strong court vision uh, and, and, That's another thing that this front office is looking for as they build out a roster that is wholly their own, especially through the draft. They want these kind of guys who have a strong feel for the game, who are going to limit their mistakes. Terry does that pretty darn well. I think at the NBA level, it'll be interesting to see a little bit if he uh, becomes a a tad turnover prone because he's a little ambitious with some of the passes that he makes. However, he's also really good at making those passes. And that's something we should touch on uh, right now. And we can kind of get more into the, the finer parts of Terry's game. His passing is definitely one of not only the the I would say the best in the one of the best in the draft in terms of just a, a sneaky na- the sneaky nature of it because we didn't really know we didn't see a ton of it at Arizona since he wasn't the most high usage player but his passing is borderline it could be borderline elite in terms of his secondary playmaking potential.
1: Agreed, and you know I think if you look at this team next year, and, and let's just be honest, like the Bulls got lucky that Demar didn't get injured at all, and so as he gets older, there might be times where he doesn't play as many games next year, and so I think about like, okay, let's assume that Demar is out, and let's also assume that it's a rotation where Zach Levine's not on the floor. What does the offense look like, and how who's it running through? And I think you could have a situation where you have Io, you have Levine, or you have uh, Lonzo, and you have Terry on the floor together, and the ball's just popping. The ball is popping. It's never stuck. You're not bouncing it often. You're not pounding the rock at the top of the key, waiting for something to you know to happen with three seconds left on the shot clock, and you're settling for a fadeaway J. Like I just think that this team is going to be able to be a little different when their stars are off the court. Be a little harder to guard. When, you know, the attention goes on to Levine or go on to De- to Jamar. And I just think that this team, like it's starting to come together on that offensive side. And you're going to hear all offseason, off oh, look at the defense they can play with Lonzo and with Caruso and with Terry and with Io and the perimeter defense that you can have. And that's fair and that's 100% warranted. But I don't think we should just fall asleep on what this could mean offensively and and for what this offense could look like, not just next year, but in two, three, four, five years as like a very, very ball poppy, always moving, always aggressive, a lot of cutting offenses. Not saying you're the Warriors, but maybe playing a little bit more like right. the Warriors, where the ball just doesn't yeah. stop
0: moving. Well, these are these are all these are all ball movers. Patrick Williams also has a pretty decent playmaking potential. He has had he's flashed some really nice live dribble passing. These are every guy they're trying to add, even a role player like Javante Green. He's somebody who is quick to get the ball out of his hands. He wants to keep everybody in motion. He wants to keep the the, the offense moving in the half court, and that's especially what the the Bulls would like to add and next year is this more... Because the second half of the season got a little more stagnant. A lot of that was injury-based with Lonzo going down, with Caruso even being hurt, uh, DeMar having to do a little bit more of what he does. But we're going to see this offense play a lot different next year if everybody is healthy. Because the idea is not to have DeMar just do his thing or have Zach kind of back up and charge towards the basket and try to get to the free-throw line. That's not what we initially thought this team would be, and it's not what they want it to be. If you go back and you just watch the first 30 games of the season when Lonzo Ball was healthy, uh, this was one of the best offense in the league because of the unselfish nature of it, because of how much they move the ball. And a lot of that goes back to Billy Donovan too. That's kind of what he likes to run. He That's the kind of the system that he's always gone to. He wants to have an equal opportunity offense, which seems a little odd to say with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine on your team, but... They also have to run it that way so they can both get fed. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think Terry, we can't overlook the offensive part of his game because people are going to talk about his defense. We're going to talk about his defense probably at Summer League. We're going to talk about it when the season starts, because. and he even said it himself, when he comes into the league, he knows he could probably make an impact defensively, or that's where he's going to have to start, and that's where he wants to focus on is getting on the floor and playing hard defense. But there's parts of his game offensively other than the shooting uh, that are going to make a big difference for this team.
1: Yeah. And and I, I, I just keep going back to the, to that Houston game uh, in the NCAA tournament, Arizona looked lost. Arizona had nothing go right for them. That's a Houston defense. That was the best defense in the country. Like they're a vicious defense. And there's one player on the floor that's just trying really, 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 really hard. It's Dalen Terry. Like he did everything he could to win that game. It didn't work. But the passing, the defense, the scoring, he took on a huge role. And you start to see him in a star role for the first time in all year. You got to see him be like that that lead guard. And you're like, that's a really special player. And so I think you you could argue, like, as you dig into this player more, as you dig into his profile, if you look into the video more, this is a Billy Donovan player. This is a Chicago Bulls front organ- front office player. It fits everything that they would want. I, I, we really shouldn't be that shocked that Terry was no, the choice. It's, that's the thing. <laughs> that's exactly, with what they try to do. Yeah,
0: that's exactly the thing. And kind of what I, I tried to, to write about a little last night and I wrote about earlier today is, yeah, just this idea that if you actually go and you look at it, you may not know, you may not have known his name, right? But he's one of those guys that's going to make you know his name when the season starts. And that just kind of fits the bill of what this this front office wants. You didn't know. No one really knew what Javante Green was going to do until the season when he was all of a sudden starting a bunch of games and playing every single game that he appeared in, basically. So I, I don't know. There's just they like finding these guys, these ultra athletic, you know, just work really hard players. Not only has Donovan done that throughout his career, but you're right. The, this front office seems to like that. If you look at a guy like Mark Eversley too, the general manager, he's who drafted, you know, Matisse Stiebel. Uh, say what you will about Thibal shooting and his offensive struggles and stuff. But that's a guy coming out. He started playing. Everyone's like, Oh my God, this dude is <laughs> this dude is legit and he's a dog if you want to use the cliche of a dog. Like, that's the kind of players that this team is trying to get after. And that's hundred percent the kind of player that uh, that Terry is.
1: Yeah, I was. I was just gonna ask, like, like with with him and like with his growth that we need to see. We've been very positive, but like, there are parts of his game that do need to improve. But I think the the things that he does well right now are what you want from your role players to do well. Because let's be honest, you're not gonna see that full part of his game for a while. As long as Zach Levine's around, you're not gonna see that elite, you know, shot creating guy all the time. And so there are parts of his games that need to get better. He needs to finish in the lane better. He needs to find a floater. He needs to be able to. If you're not going to be able to shoot 68% at the rim all the time. The Pac-12 was down last year, especially defensively. You're At the NBA level, you're just not going to be able to finish at the rim like that. So he needs that in-between game. If he finds that, I mean, he could start. Like this guy could 100% start with what they do and how he can play and, and what he can bring to this team. And that's with a full team. Like with a full roster, I think he would be a really, really good fifth starter for this for this team and where they're at.
0: Absolutely. I think, yeah, you bring up the biggest, the the biggest flaw and we've kind of touched on it already is, you know, whether or not he can be, how much is he going to provide to you scoring the basketball? The good news is he doesn't need to do any of that right now. And like we said, I think his defense will keep him on the court to the point where his, you know, being on the court is the best way to learn. His offense can ca- kind of a little bit catch up. He can find his own, he can find his spots. He can figure out a little bit where he fits in, but his shooting is going to be the biggest question mark. The catch and shoot ability, I think, should be there. I I think even last night during uh, the the post-game or the post-draft press conference of Mark Eversley, he wholly admitted, he's like, I wouldn't call him a three-point shooter, but he is capable of, you know, improving his shot. A 36.4%, you know, three-point percentage last season is a very solid foundation to to come into the league on. You can come in a whole lot worse. And he's even freely admitted in interviews, that's what I need to improve on. Last night, he said specifically, my shooting off the dribble, right? He's like, I need to have, I need to add that to my game. Good news, Demar Derozan, Zach Levine, <laughs> those are two guys who could teach you how to do that pretty darn well when you have the ball handling skills that he does. But yeah, that's a big thing for me. Is I am, I am curious to see. Uh, at least can he offer a little bit more than we might think as a catch and shoot threat right away? I was actually surprised, like a guy like Io did honestly a little bit. But he was a little bit more the, uh, of a threat than we thought. But Terry needs to be even more than that for this team to kind of get. What they really want out of him, he needs to be become a little bit more of a uh, high volume three point shooter. Not super high volume, but that needs to that needs to come.
1: Well, and he's going to get that chance. And the reason why I thought Io made those threes last year is because if you as you watch the smart NBA defenses, they're going to make the young guys fi- make shots you're going to get good looks. Young guys are going to get good looks. Well, if you're a good catch and shoot guy and you get those good looks and you knock them down, your confidence starts to rise and you start to be more, you start to feel yourself a little bit more out on the court. It's natural, it's human. And so I think that like, Terry's going to get opportunities where he's going to be left open. He's going to be dared to shoot when you have like when you have the lineups that they're going to play. He's going to be probably the one non-shooter on the floor from three-point range, other than Demar. That you know people try to dare him to make shots. He's going to have open looks. If he knocks those down, the confidence is going to continue to grow. And I think he's going to have a situation where, like Io, you go man, this guy, like he's making a lot more threes than I thought he would, right? Just because he's going to get good looks and the confidence will come from
0: that. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the the only other thing I'll say about the pick before we move on is moving off exactly what Terry brings to the table and more talking about what I think the pick means for the Bulls, there's two things that uh, I think are worth noting that we have to keep in mind moving forward. One is I think they made this pick and it was always their intention to make the pick because – at the end of the day, having a rookie contract on your on your uh, roster is very nice, right? I mean, that's that's I think a big part of the reason they're like, well, we're about to hand Zach Levine a ton of money. Uh, you know, we 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 don't want to necessarily uh, add too. We can't we can't necessarily add too much um, to the payroll. So if we can find somebody who we truly believe is going to be a strong role player and he's on a rookie contract, that's pretty nice. So I just think that's something we need to point out as we look toward free agency. Well,
1: the Terry pick blends the present and the future. In my head, because I think if you took a guy like Blake Wesley, like that's a that's a that's a future play. If you took a guy like Ochai, that's a or EJ Liddell, that's maybe more applicable. Like that's a more of a of a present right now. I think Terry's like that perfect in between. And I think Malachi Brandon would have been a a little bit of that, too. But just that perfect in between of like helping you now and doing the little things now. But you're also super excited about what he can be in the future. And that's kind of what I'm starting to get this vibe from this front office. There's no sense of panic. Of feeling, God, we got to get this one right right now, and we got to capitalize on this window. They have a good blend. They're having patience on like a good blend of helping right now, but and doing the little things well, and then eventually down the road, we're going to
0: keep giving you more. And eventually, as the roster changes, then your role changes too. Right. I think that's that's a big thing that we need to keep in mind too. Is that you know, Mark Eversley, he he also talked about this in the press conference, just kind of reiterating that they see that the organization sees this as kind of a process like we're not going to try to jump the gun by any means yes they took a leap in the right direction last season a pretty sizable one best record since 2014-15 uh with that said you know it's hard to to sit there and say okay now you have to go get Rudy Gobert now you have to do that because guess what Zach Levine I mean all signs point to he's going to sign that max extension he'll be here for five years you know, you have, you do have time. I know DeMar's timetable is running out a little bit at the end of the day. I think we learned last year that Vucevic probably isn't the long-term answer anyway, at the uh, center position. We'll see kind of what happens with that. But I think they see a a, a a way here to build sustained success, which I don't think is a problem after so many years of incompetence. I understand that from a fan's perspective, they might say, no, now's the time we got to go all in for it. But I don't, and I don't think they're not—they're not trying, right? They are trying to still win. They're trying to go for it, but you don't want to just throw all your assets in to one bag and then say, next year's the year, or the year after that is the year." We see how quickly that can really hurt franchises. We're kind of seeing it potentially with the Nets. We're seeing what the trying to do these super teams can do to you. So I respect the approach. I think you're right. This is an idea of, "Hey, Dalen Terry can help us now, and he has still potential." to be even better later on. Same with Patrick Williams, same with Ayo DeSumo. We have some youth and we want to make sure that we set ourselves up just in case. And that's what they're using the draft for, just in case we set ourselves up for some sustained success.
1: Multiple bites at the apple. Because, again, like you can look on paper and go, oh, the Bucs should be the favorite in the East next year. Oh, the Celtics should be one of the favorites in the East. Oh, the Sixers or whatever. Multiple bites at the apple. You need to be in position to be in a chance to have a top five seed in the East. And then just let's see what happens. Because last year at this time, we weren't saying anything about the Celtics, you know, making it to the to the NBA finals at all. We, we didn't anticipate, you know, Middleton getting hurt. We didn't anticipate James Harden, cap, you know, capsizing the Sixers, and and you know maybe Embiid getting hurt. Like you just don't, you can't predict those things. So, but if you predict or you you set yourself up to have sustained success and to constantly be solid and and have a chance, then sometimes you just need a few breaks. And the Bulls organization needs a few
0: it breaks. It becomes that much easier to make the the big move to say, okay, we're gonna grab this star. It just. It, the Bulls aren't in that position yet. They had one playoff, one year in the playoffs, and they got bounced in five games. So they need to first set that up. You look at any of these recent uh, NBA champions; they are all teams who have had sustained success to a, a certain degree, and that's what it's all about. You have to build that foundation first. So, good. I think that's a, that's a that's a good in Terry chat. Let's though move on. I, I want to do a little more. Just talk about the draft as a whole. Uh, I wanted to, I told you this beforehand, you should, you, I think you came ready, you did your homework, right? So <laughs> I want to talk about the best fit pick, the best upside pick, and the best bargain pick uh, in this draft. So let's just start with fit. I want to know who you thought uh, came off the board and, and you're like, that makes the most sense. And I know teams draft for best player available. Maybe it still was that at the time, but what well, what did we feel like was the best fit?
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to go a little bit lower down the board because obviously Ivy makes the most sense. But I think, I think Tari Eason to the Rockets makes a ton of sense when you look at the scope scope of what they've done. They went with two super offensive players in Ty Ty Washington at 28, I think is what they got him. And then they also, of course, got Jabari. Those are two offensive dynamic guys, and they already have one in Jalen Green but adding Easton into the mix is, is just a perfect fit because he's so good defensively and the pieces that they've added, they don't aren't going to require him to go score, right? They just aren't. He's long. He's put up weight room numbers at LSU, super strong, super athletic, one of the best players in the country. And he came off the bench and he's going to get to defend. He's going to be that fourth option. Then you let his offense come along. So as soon as that came off after getting Jabari and then also seeing what they did with Ty Ty, I'm like, okay, that just makes, that makes perfect sense for what they want from him right away and the job for him is so easy. Hey, just go out and play as hard as you can on defense and we'll live with whatever offense you give us. That's exactly what Tari Eason needed. And it would have been a really rough situation if he went to like 10 like the Wizards and the Wizards are going, hey, we need you to be our premier wing scorer alongside Kyle Kuzma. Like that would have been a problem. He went to the perfect spot with the Rockets and, and they'll have patience with him and, and get the most out of
0: yeah, you hurt Bulls fans' heart with that for sure. Because I know I know there's at least a there's definitely a Tari uh stand club out there somewhere that that really wanted him. I did like him. He was kind of like third on my board for them. But uh I thought I mean I did and I did think the Bulls would be a decent fit for him. But I think you're right. Houston for a guy like that, who still has a lot of question marks. I mean, he is a little he's a little bit older. He's not like the super young, raw prospect like a, you know, like a Blake Wesley or something. But he is uh somebody who is raw on the offensive end in terms of having a polished game, right? Like he, he's a bully ball type guy. He loves to just use his athleticism, but I think that that feel for the game has to catch up a little bit. And Houston's a perfect place to allow that to happen. Um, I think, you know, the name that I'm going to drop. I've, I've texted you about him. And I actually do think the fit is, is very nice. Bochamp, my guy, Bochamp going to Milwaukee. Honestly, I think that's an awesome place for him because He's one of those guys who is just, he talk about starring your role with a guy. I think like uh Dalen Terry, that's what, that's what the bulls are hoping that he can do. I think Bo champ can star in whatever role he's going to be put in. That dude just cares. That dude just hustles. He has awesome size, awesome length. He rebounds hard. He's uh, somebody whose defense is definitely, uh, I think he's one of the better defenders in this league in terms of his, uh, his just general versatility. So Milwaukee adding him made me mad because <laughs> I I knew that at 24, they were going to get a decent player like already for that roster, but he's someone who's going to play, I think a lot for them next year. He, he can slide in. He can come off the bench. He can also give you a little bit of offense. The shot isn't there, but you know, he's, he's decently smooth, smooth with the ball. He can, he can, he, he can finish the heck out, out of the ball at the rim. I mean, he, he's very good finisher at the rim. Uh, there are his playmaking needs to come together a little bit, but the Bucks are a good spot for him because one, kind of same thing, it's it's reverse of Houston, right? Like Houston, Tari Eason does have the time just to, hey, it's a rebuild, whatever. But Bochamp kind of also has the time. It's like, well, we don't need you to be super awesome right now. You know, it'd be great if you were, but you have the time to learn from some great players and kind of come into your own game a little bit and then help us in the ways that you already can help us because he is an older, older draft pick. So I don't know. I just love that pick. I thought that was a great one. I probably would have loved wherever he went, but I do think Milwaukee just got... A player who's gonna who's gonna be able to handle different scenarios and different and, and and play in different ways on the court for them pretty soon next year. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think I'm, we get sometimes uh, we get a little bit annoying where we go, can this guy play in the playoffs right now for you know twenty five minutes a night? And I, I don't like that conversation all the time, and that wouldn't work for Beauchamp. It just wouldn't because with his shooting, you need shooting around Giannis. But I think like in the regular season, he's gonna be really really impactful for them off the bench like really impactful and you just think about the defensive versatility that the Bucks could start to have and, and what they have now and what it could be and more perimeter defense alongside two elite defenders and Giannis and Drew that's pretty scary I, I like that one I like that
0: all right let's move on to the best upside pick uh I'm curious to see where you ended up on the board for this one so what do you have
1: Yeah, I think the easy one is Patrick Baldwin uh, going to Golden State. Uh, That makes a ton of sense. If you just look at how he shoots the basketball, it's just really, really smooth. And like we have talked about before, I mean, you're talking about a five-star guy going to Golden State. We've heard this story before. And Golden State has now this awesome core. And now they have these five really young, really fun guys. Moses Moody, Kaminga, you have Poole. You have Patrick Baldwin now and you still have James Wiseman. And so I just, I like that factory there. I like putting him there. I think he's a great upside pick. I think that, I I would be stunned. I'd be stunned if if one day he doesn't make his way into an NBA rotation. He had a year from hell last year with his dad. Probably shouldn't have gone to Wisconsin-Milwaukee if hindsight's, you know, 2020. But uh, he's a really, really talented guy. And obviously with with my profession, we've been around him a lot. We're really used to him. We've evaluated him for a really long time. And he's just an elite, elite, elite shooter. And with his size, the upside just threw the roof with him.
0: Yeah, you, took, you, you stole my guy. I think you probably stole a lot of people's guy. I'm assuming that would be the answer for a lot of people. Uh, he was somebody who people truly didn't know whether or not he could end up going in the 20s, right? Or like, well, I mean, he did go uh, in 28, but whether or not he could go in the early 20s or even maybe like a late, you know, uh, the late teens. That's how high his potential was coming into his college year. And like you said, it was an extremely unfortunate <laughs> college year for him. And if a guy like Shaden and Sharp, right, can go to Kentucky, he's this highly touted prospect. I, I, he chooses not to play for for them, and he still is able to go seven, right? I understand that we saw glimpses of, we did get to see glimpses of Baldwin, and it wasn't, you know, what you would want it to be. I'm a little bit surprised that someone didn't talk themselves into him higher, just because it's it's a somewhat similar situation where it's just like you can't just convince yourself like that was a really bad one year, but this guy was one of the best players coming out of high school, and. Everything I mean there's so much there that you, that there is to like so
1: I mean I I legitimately would not be shocked if he shoots over 40% from 3 like he is a legit like he is a knockdown shooter Did you have a... Okay yeah I'll get you my bargain pick right Yeah 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 Kennedy Chandler was built in a lab <laughs> to play for the Memphis Grizzlies <laughs> yeah. like he was legitimately built in a lab by robots to play for the Memphis Grizzlies. he's going to be perfect. Like, he is going to be absolutely flawless. If you go through what he did for Tennessee last year, he's a freshman walking into Tennessee. Uh, Rick Barnes is not maybe the most ideal coach to play for in the country. And he didn't do anything wrong. He made every right pass. He's always in the right spot defensively. He can shoot the three. He can get to the rim. He has floaters. He got everybody involved. He had a really good sense of direction on the floor. He had a really good sense of poise on when to go fast and when to slow down. Like He's not just a straight line speed guy. He can start and stop. He just has so many good things about him. And he's going into a situation where Memphis needs a lot of role players behind John Morant. You never know with his injury history. They're probably not going to have Jones, the backup point guard. Chandler steps right in as that backup point guard for them. So for a bargain at 38, like we talk about so often, like if you can get a second rounder, who's a no doubt rotation player for you, that's a huge win. Chandler's a no doubt rotation player for the Grizzlies. And I think he's going to be really, really good.
0: Well, you talk about Memphis. It just reminded me, uh, you know, who was pegged to go to Memphis for a long time was Dale Terry, who people thought that was a popular mock draft thing. And I just want to say, look at Memphis. Look at how they've drafted. If the player that you take is uh, also drawing interest from Memphis, you probably did something pretty good and pretty right at this point because they're drafted the heck out, out of the league right now. I mean, they the last several drafts they have found they have found value. So uh, I like Memphis and, and Memphis and the Pelicans.
1: Memphis and the Pelicans, the two.
0: That's a that's a name that I that uh that it's good. Look, you're just setting up my uh setting up my stuff for me. I think EJ Liddell at this point has to be considered a value pick, right? It kind of feels like the IO situation. I feel like we keep bringing up IO a lot this podcast, but for good reason. The Also, two Elida uh, guys, uh, of course, bringing up yeah. IO. But uh, EJ Liddell, just, this feels like the DeSumo situation. It's kind of like, how did he fall this far? Everyone's sitting there in the draft kind of like, wait, his name's still at the top of the best available on ESPN. Why does he keep dipping? He, I don't necessarily think the Pelicans is the best fit for him. Uh, it, it, you know, he doesn't necessarily have, he won't have uh the opportunities, he won't have the opportunities that you want him to have. But for in terms of just pure value of what you're getting at 41, that's somebody who people legitimately thought could just go to the Bulls at 18, who would be a top 20 pick. So I'm shocked that he fell that far. Uh, like I said, maybe not the best fit. I, I don't think they're going to be able to use him in the way that that he's best suited there, but. That's that's a great pick, a great value pick.
1: Yeah, it is. It's 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 one of those things that you just pick EJ Liddell and figure it out later because he's just a, he's just one of those guys. He's just going to be able to find his way into any rotation. And you're right, maybe on paper right now, fully healthy, it doesn't make a ton of sense. They have a lot of front court depth. They have a lot of shooting. Trey Murphy is going to get his minutes. You know, you have Jackson Hayes still there. You have all these guys right behind Zion and and Bi and, and CJ McCollum. But at the end of the day, with depth, you need depth. You know what injuries are going to happen. Zion's still a huge X factor. You just take EJ and figure it out, and that's what the Pelicans did last year with Herb Jones. You take him, you figure it out. You, you did. They did the same thing with Alvarado. He comes in, he earns a spot right away. Murphy was a great evaluation. So I think this Pelicans front office earns a little bit of trust. And just watching EJ, you go, that guy is a dude. Well, and he's going to be just fine. Yeah, that guy, you level. watch him,
0: and you just that's that's why I'm surprised that he fell this far. You watch him, and you easily go, that's an NBA player. I mean, there's no there's no question about it. He he has not only the body, but he has the instincts. He has the shot blocking capability. He has the potential to step back and uh, hit a three for you on on, in catch and shoot situations. So I'm shocked he fell that far. I think it's an awesome pick and good for the Pelicans. That's like you said, but you're right. They they keep drafting well, and it's it could be similar to the Herb Jones situation as well. But you know who also came into the league last year and didn't have much or may not have had a role to find their form right away, Io Desumu. So it's another instance where that's an example of somebody who came in, you're like, oh, they got a bunch of guards. Like, is Io going to play? I even thought he was going to play in the G League like a good amount. You know, I, I was like, there's not really going to be a lot of uh, rotation minutes for him. But if you have a guy, especially a older player who just works as hard as Desumu or Liddell, we both know, He'll he'll find a way to eat some minutes next year
1: and some important ones. And vers- versatility is everything. Swiss Army knife. You just saw it all over the playoffs. You, you just look at EJ Liddell, and everyone's going to be like, "Oh, he's the next Grant Williams." He's not the next Grant Williams. He's way more talented than what Grant Williams does for the Celtics. He does yeah. more for what you can do offensively. So I, I think that's a lazy one. Oh, they have similar bodies, so they're the next Grant Williams. Well, no, they're not. They're different. You got to watch the basketball. Yeah. I so think I think EJ, I think EJ is going to be just fine. Just fine. And it was a shame that he was still in there in the 40s. All
0: right. The, I'm going to throw one other name out there just for value. And I'm mainly doing this for you. Should we put Malachi in that conversation at number 20? I mean, we're sitting there. Malachi Branham, that, that's, that's somebody who people for a little while there had going potentially in the lottery in the late lottery and the one of the 13, 14 spot. So the fact that he falls all the way to the Spurs, one, an organization that doesn't miss <laughs> normally on their draft picks and who will make sure you're at least a half decent uh, NBA player. Uh, again, maybe the fit, it, especially if they're, you know, if they're keeping some of their guys around, isn't the best right off the bat. But if they're all in on youth and they move and they move some pieces or whatever, which they seem to be right now, uh it's hard not, not, to, not to like that they ended up with him.
1: Yeah, no, I, I love him. I love him. I've been in on him for a really long time. Uh, he is a very, very good person. And I think sometimes like we have to pay attention to more of those things. Like You see some of the stuff that he was doing throughout his freshman year at Ohio State. He's texting coaches, asking for help and advice and thanking them for giving him a chance after he made a bad turnover and telling them he's not going to do it again. Uh, those little things, show me you care, and then you watch him, and you're like, oh, my God. Like Offensively, he is just a freak and a, a savant, I think, offensively with what he can bring to the floor. So you're right. I think at 20, that's a fantastic value. I think he's going to be in the league for a really long time. If everything goes well, maybe he's a 20 points a game guy. Maybe not. But at, at the end of the day, I think he's a rotation one. And you look at again, it's a Wings league. And, I, I I mean, I start right there at 12. For OKC, Jalen Williams taking him over Malachi Branham, I get it. I probably would have had Malachi over him, though. I look at what the what the Cavs did with Ochai. I, I would have taken Branham over. I agree with you.
0: Know, I, th- I thought he hundred percent would go before both those players in this draft. So the fact that he's there for a competent organization with the Spurs, which is why I'm sure they just were they they were probably shocked uh, yeah. that they just they snatched him up. And then also getting uh, Blake Wesley, you know, 25th is an interesting one. I don't think that's a bargain pick. I'm just bringing it up in terms of you know the Spurs. Those are two very high upside players that they grabbed in an area where they shouldn't have been able to grab somebody that high upside.
1: And adding Sochan to the mix, like that's three really, really nice first round picks that the Spurs have added. So especially, you know, last year, Josh Primo kind of caught everybody off guard, but this was kind of a bounce back moment, I think for the Spurs organization, because you got three different players. And I think if you hit on two of these three, you're pretty
0: happy with it. And I think they have a strong chance of doing just that. The next Spurs big three is what you're saying. Correct. In <laughs> okay, so let's let's we're gonna wrap up soon. I want to do some quick hitters. We're gonna move off draft now. Well, a- actually, the first quick hitter I want to ask: Do you think that uh, that when Poku saw Chad come off the board, that you know he said bet and went right to the gym and just started shooting and was like, "I'm gonna
1: uh, not on my watch." <laughs> no, I th- I don't think so. I <laughs> think um, I. Th- <laughs> I think Poku. I think Poku looked at Chet and goes, "Man, he's going to be, f- be a fantastic third option on the team behind right. me and SGM." Right. I think he's be fantastic. Okay. So yeah, I think that's
0: how that's going to okay, go. Okay. Good. Yeah. I I I I think that's a smart bet. Okay. So the first, <laughs> the, the real the first thing that I want to look at here is, uh, or just mention, Let's talk briefly about the Portland pit or the Portland situation, trading for Jeremy Grant. Uh, like we talked about a little bit earlier, the Shane Sharp fit might not be the best, but a Grant fit for them trading for him felt really good, especially the cost was not as high as anyone would, would have thought to think at the trade deadline that we were having conversations about whether the Bulls should trade Patrick Williams, uh, for Grant uh, for, <laughs> for Jeremy Grant. And I was always on the no go on that, but I never thought his value would be basically just a first round pick. So, I think that fits strong for them, though. It, it puts them back into uh, into the I wouldn't say the mix in the West, but it should with, with a healthy Dame and uh, and Jeremy Grant if he buys completely into his role. Uh, that's a nice that's a nice boost for them.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's one of those situations where, uh, again, it's a blend of the present and the future. I think like you can blend a little bit and make sure that Dame's next couple years aren't like completely atrocious or completely, you know, you're sitting in for the last 20 games of the year to try to get a better a lottery pick position, and but then you add a guy like Grant who is seems like a very good culture guy, and with what he can do to help Sharp, and so you have two pretty elite culture guys, I would say, in Jeremy Grant and and Dame to help Sharp and see what you can get the most out of them, it makes a ton of sense. And it also looks really good for what, you know, if you look at what the Pistons have done and what Detroit has done after that trade, it looks really, really good for both sides now too, I think.
0: Yeah. The only other thing I'll mention uh with the Portland trade in relation to the Bulls is I think we already saw this coming, but it just shows that next year they fully expect to be back into the mix for the playoffs. They, they want to get back there. And the Bulls own that lottery protected first round pick that came via The Lowry Markinen three team trade, where Lowry went to the Cavaliers. So uh, that can convey, that didn't convey this year, obviously, because they ended up with number seven, but uh, it can convey up until 2028. And the sooner it can convey, which now it looks like it could next year, the higher value that pick holds, uh, you know, just around the league. So if Chicago's looking to uh, trade pieces over the next couple of weeks, which I'm assuming they are. I can't imagine they're just going to stick to free agency. I bet there'll be some sort of trade in, in, in there to bolster their uh, depth. I could see that pick potentially coming into play now that it's at least a little more valuable. So just a note for, uh, for Bulls fans to keep in mind. I think that's, that's a big one. Uh, okay, so the other big story that we have to uh, address before we get out of here, the Brooklyn Nets situation. I personally earlier this week those reports about Kyrie, you know, first came out, just the ones that he could be considering moving, blah blah blah. And I was like, okay, it's all a leverage play, you know, just pay me my money, whatever. I don't know if the the Nets will fully cave, but they'll meet a happy medium. He'll be back Durant wants him back, whatever. Then on draft day, which I will bring up, by the way, is the best time to leak things if you do want to leverage play. So, smart move by Kyrie at his camp. But it was. Hello, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it was still. Yeah, hello, Aaron Rodgers, right? It was still uh, a little more juicy than I would have expected it. And it caused a little more chaos than uh, it probably should have to the point where I am debating now. I'm like, okay, it is Kyrie. He's one of the biggest wild cards in the NBA. He truly could walk. And if he does walk, Durant could. Easily be upset and want to get out of there, whether or not he could, you know, whatever. But he's he's Kevin Durant. Players in this league have the most power. If he wanted to leave after Kyrie left, they would they would find a way to make it happen. So what do you think? Yeah, just what do you think about the situation? I think it's all crazy. I think it will settle, and the Nets will be the Nets again, and we'll see Ben Simmons play with those two. But it's 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 getting crazier than I expected it to.
1: Yeah, I really don't want to give Kyrie any attention until I know if he wants to play basketball or not. I really don't. Like that's kind of where I'm at, and that's where I think I would be as a front office. I I would want nothing to do with giving him a five-year contract or whatever. How much, how much money? If I don't know if he wants to play basketball, and he hasn't wanted to play basketball for multiple years for multiple different reasons. And if you want to be, you know, if you want to quit basketball and you want to go try to impact the world in other ways. By all means, be our guest. But at the end of the day, I feel like I'm out on Kyrie. Like, I'm just, I just, I don't care about what he wants to do. And it feels like, you know, he's such a talented guy. And he's so tantalizing when he's out on the floor. But it's just so frustrating because it's like, there's so many, there's so few spots in this league and you are one of the most talented players and just the, the way he's, Attacked his business or the way he's done his business is tough, and it, it, it's sad that it impacts KD because I love KD. I love watching KD play, and you know I think Rosillo has a Ryan Rosillo from the the Ringer has a really good point where like KD hitched his wagon to the to a bad teammate, Absolutely. to a bad business partner, Absolutely. and that can't be denied anymore. And so at this point. If, if Kyrie wants to play basketball and wants to play 60 games, great. I'm in. Let's see what we can do and let's see where he can go. Um, but I, I think if I was KD, I would start taking a long look at trying to sever those ties a little bit because it could end up hurting him in the long run more than it helps.
0: Yeah. And that's why I bring it up because for me, it's a situation where uh, I 100% agree with you. I don't have any interest in what Kyrie wants to do or where Kyrie wants to go. That's not necessarily something that I, I care about. <laughs> what I care about more is, what is the, what's the impact is it going to have potentially on Kevin Durant. That's what the biggest thing is. Like you said, I love Kevin Durant. I love watching that guy, and also he's easily one of the top three players in the league. So at the end of the day, if this has an impact on him, that has an impact on the entire league.
1: Basically, what you've said all of that is
0: basically to say that Kevin Durant's joining the Bulls. So boom, I'm in. Okay, that's what I mean. That's what I'm here for. I did. I I was literally throwing around trade packages in our Bleacher Nation uh, group chat. I was like, you don't understand. It's going to be so big, and I don't even think the Bulls have an opportunity to like. You know, the the Bulls I don't think would even be in a position to 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 get him. But I don't want I don't care about your facts right now. I really don't. Patrick Williams, <laughs> Patrick Williams, <laughs> Daylon Terry, Io, also our, our, f- I will f- say, f- I'll f- finish f- with this. I did so after the Durant thing, uh and I, we were joking around thinking of ideas, I made myself sad because I was thinking about like uh and very conflicted emotionally because i was thinking about okay let's say the bulls did have to get him i was like they'd have to include DeMar probably to, to help make salaries work and then i was like oh man and then what if the bulls won a championship and then damar is going to be there it's gonna be just like toronto all over again where damar's the spurs and then Kawhi's there and it's all the... so i just got really sad thinking about how that could impact DeMar. <laughs> and uh yeah that's that's my life i get very sad thinking about hypothetical basketball situations
1: are you getting Damar on the podcast soon to talk about this? I'll talk about your
0: feelings towards him
1: because they're really strong right
0: now. Uh, Damar. Yeah. I'll give him a call. I'll ask if he wants to talk. I will tell him that I feel really bad for this fake trade that I came up with. And uh, we'll see what, we'll see what his response is.
1: Let's see what Damar's package for KD in, entails.
0: <laughs> it will be me. He'll trade. <laughs> <laughs> tra- yeah, he'll somehow trade me. And uh, I don't know how it would work, but I it would, it, I would somehow be involved in the deal. <laughs>
1: A headband, uh, headband wielding three point shooting uh, Eli shoes. Hey,
0: they can use another uh, – Seth Curry basically 2.0. They just, just call me up. I'll, I'll see what I can do. All right, we're gonna let's wrap it up there. I this was my first, uh, first official podcast. So Isaac, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to come talk about basketball stuff with me. That's all I could ever want. So I very, I very much appreciate it.
1: Anytime, man. Anytime.
0: All right.